All right, good morning, North Star. Happy Father's Day to the fathers in the room. If you guys would stand as we enter in this morning. So happy to see you guys here this morning as we enter in. I just invite you, if you're in the cafe, you wanna come on in as we get started. Maybe just uh, take a moment just to breathe. Uh, this week has been crazy for you, just to just take a moment to just inhale the Lord in this place, the presence of God. I just invite you just to close your eyes. Just center yourself before the Lord this morning. Father, you are so good. Father, we thank you that no matter what the word Father means to us here on earth, that you remain the same. You are constant, you are faithful. You are good. Lord, we magnify your name today and we thank you for who you are, the faithful and true one to us. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness. I just invite you just to, in your own words before the Lord, just to thank him for something. It could be so small, it could be for your breakfast this morning, but Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your kindness that you show day after day, even in the moments when I don't deserve it. So let's start by thanking the Lord this morning as we sing this. Say, we say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you for all you've done, all you'll do. We say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you for all you've done and all you'll do. We say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you for all you've done and all you'll do. We say thank you. We say thank you. We say Thank you for all you've done. I've got a history, I've got a history of things. I've got a future filled with praise just for you. Just for you. I've got a history of things. I've got a future filled with praise just for you. Thank you, we say thank you, we say thank you for 
Jesus, the Holy One. Oh, hail the Savior of the world. Say, oh, hail. Oh, hail, King Jesus.
Hello, do you remember me? Started off. The truth is I didn't. The name was familiar. The face was not. Um, but when he described that, you know, you said something to me 22 years ago in another context. He says, and that has shaped a trajectory of my life that I, that I just want to, I'm back in town. I'd love to meet with you and just tell you about that, which I was shocked. I was shocked. I, I enjoyed this conversation with this man. And, I, and I, was, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me right there. He says, your words matter. Your words matter, friends. I took that to my heart. I took that to myself. Yes, Lord. Lots of good exchange happened there. I have a son who's getting married this summer. And that's going through some boxes in his old room. And I was piling through that. And I found in this box some old letters that I had written to him when he was younger. And one of the things I found in there as well was this little placard, a plastic placard with a three by five on it with a prayer. Back in the younger days when I was zealous and I wanted everything, just like I do now for all my kids and you want for your kids, I wrote out this prayer for them. I always said, put it on your desk. Think about this. This is what I'm praying for you because I'm in that prayer. I was praying the things I wanted to see grow up in their lives. And to be quite honest, I have long since forgot what that prayer was. But it was sitting on, it was meant to sit on their desk. And I found that, and I looked at that, and I just, ah, wow. That was pretty good, what I wrote there, I thought to myself. You know, when I looked over that prayer, and I'm thinking of my son, I'm thinking, wow. I see some of those things coming to pass. I see some of those things growing. I see some things yet to grow. So I took a snapshot of that picture, of that little thing, and I sent it to my son. And I said, hey, pal, you remember this? Many years ago, you know, I gave you this prayer. And he texts back a few minutes later. Oh, yeah, I remember that, Dad. He says, I have most of it committed to memory. I still think about it today. And my mouth dropped because... I was working, you know how in kids you try to get those few seconds sometimes when they're all paying attention to you and all the volume of who you are, you try to shove it in that little crack and two seconds later it crushes down. That was one of those things. I put it on paper. I'm hoping it'll stay there. Words matter, friends. What you speak to your kids, what you speak to your husband, you speak to those, they matter long after you've forgotten them, the Lord remembers. I feel like the Lord would encourage us, and maybe a few of you specifically, that your words have mattered, and you've gone silent. You haven't thought that they have. You kind of backed away from it and thought, how the heck with that? I, I don't see anything. I don't see any fruit for that. They matter. And I feel as if the Lord might say to you, let's sit with him again and say, Lord, I want to bring back those things. Would you bring back the things that were said to me and that I've said to others and put power on them again? Put power on them again. Let me just pray for us as we finish on. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder, at least to me, 
and I think to a few in this room, that the words matter, that the intention of your heart in those God-filled moments actually touch, they actually reach. Lord, I pray you put power on it and bring things back like a boomerang to the hand. You guys can turn and uh, go ahead and turn to someone next to you and say hello. Yeah, you guys can turn and say hi to your neighbors. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the dads and granddads and uncles and brothers and spiritual dads in the room. Um, thank you for how you lead in love. We honor you today. Welcome to North Star, where we go to the missing, love the marginalized, and live as God's kids. My name is Jen Powers, and I've been here since the very beginning. In fact, during worship, I was thinking, I remember when some of these kids, now adults, were in pumpkin seats back in children's ministry, yes? And here they are leading us in worship, I love that. So we are super thankful for um, being with you today, whether you're in the building or online, welcome, welcome. If you're new or looking to get more connected, you could do that in a couple of ways. You can fill out the online connect card, I think it should pop up behind me, or if you're here in person, you can go out to Connecting Point, and we'd love to connect with you, meet you, help get you plugged in. This link behind me is also where you can go to give if you feel led. Um, there's also an offering box over there by the glass doors if you choose to give um, by paper check. Who writes checks anymore? Anyone? I do. I'm living in the Stone Ages. Um, as you may know, at least 25% and usually way more than that of what comes in goes back out to local and global missions, which is a beautiful thing. I have three announcements for you this morning. First, a team just came back from Monterey, Mexico, and during that trip, some junior high students got baptized. Isn't that awesome? So you'll see the pictures, very cool stuff that the Lord did there. So pray for these guys as they made a big step in their relationship with the Lord. So awesome. The next announcement is for all the ladies in the room, high school ladies. Young ladies, seasoned ladies, old ladies, old ladies. Um, this summer we've been gathering monthly um, with all the women. And this is under the women's ministry watermark. So we invite you to come to that. There's one this Thursday, 6.30 to 8.30. This Thursday is June 22nd. You don't have to have been a long time part of Watermark. Come if you're new and you're looking to get connected. There's sort of two parts to this event. So the first part will be a meal. Ladies, a free meal for real. So come enjoy that together. And then the second half is going to be about like going to the deeper places of Jesus um, together as a group of, of women, of ladies. So we hope that you are able to join us. Please do RSVP so that Katie and her team know how much food to prepare. And also, childcare will not be provided. 
Lastly, I want to let you know about the Signs and Wonders Camp coming up. So this is for our rising second graders through graduating fifth graders. There are over 30 kids already signed up for this from here at North Star, which is so cool. And there's a few more spots left open. So this is from June 25th to 28th up in um, St. Mary's, Ohio. Registration is still open. So if you're curious what this is about, um, we've had these guys back in children's ministry a few times. I've had the privilege of seeing them do their thing, and it's like effortless. The, the way that they lead kids into encounter with the Lord, into deeper places with the Lord, creating them in them a thirst and a hunger for Scripture, learning how to hear the, the voice of the Lord, experience the Holy Spirit, it is beautiful. And it's at an age where they can um, digest it and approach it and receive it. So I encourage you, if you have a kiddo, rising second grader, third grader, fourth grader, through a graduating fifth grader, pray about them joining this group of kids. I think it will be something the Lord grows um, over time, as even as they're adults. Um, they'll remember that for sure. So to find out any, any more details about anything I mentioned, you can always go to the website. You can visit Connecting Point. There's also those pathway journals at Connecting Point if you stop by there, um, I think, or visit our website. I think that's it. Is David back? Oh, yeah. Oh, my word. You're right there. Okay. I'm going to pray for David, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much. Um, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for your word that um, just comes alive to us time and time again. I just ask for your favor and your blessing over David right now as he speaks to us. Lord, would your voice be the loudest in this room? We long to hear from you. So thank you um, for the ways, I thank you in advance for the ways that you're going to um, move in this room. We just want to hear from you. So um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Jen. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. And uh, I want to start today. I know Rusty already gave a prophetic word. And if you don't know what a prophetic word is, um, a lot of times that can be it can feel like it's a threat to the Word of God, and it's not at all. The Word of God stands and is firm, and it's eternal from beginning to end. But a prophetic word is really the birthright of all the children of God, that we get to hear the voice of God and then communicate back out in a way that edifies, encourages, and it has to line up with the Scriptures for it to be a prophetic word. And so... Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that his hope and his dream is that everybody would prophesy. And we read that and we get our heads stuck in the clouds, but all it's really saying is I wish everyone would listen to the voice of the Lord and share words with one another to, edu uh, to edify, to encourage, and again, to line up with the scriptures. And so this past Friday, I was in our prayer room. We have it in here at noon every Friday. I encourage you to come check it out if you're not sure what that is. And I spent about 10 to 15 minutes just saying, Lord, do you have anything that you want me to share this Sunday with just anybody? And I got a few pictures. I shared one at the nine o'clock. I just shared one in Westchester. And I had one left because I really didn't want to share it. And the word is about Stephen. Do you guys know Stephen's story in the Bible? He ends up getting stoned to death. So let's just forget that part of Stephen's story and focus on the first part. And I feel like the word that I have is for you, Miles. So I walked in and I just thought, I think it's for him. So this is good. So ignore the back end of Stephen's story. 
But I saw you and I thought, and I could be wrong here, I could be swinging and missing, but Miles, at the beginning of Stephen's story, he is giving what you guys may know is kind of a menial task. He's kind of waiting on tables, 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 helping the widows, and it can just seem like grunt work. And at the end of the um, part of Stephen's story where it's describing what he's doing, he goes out and he evangelizes. He's got this evangelistic apostolic skill and he is leading people to the Lord, but he's also upsetting people because he's so powerful in his gifting, people don't know what to do with him. And I think that's true for you, Miles. I don't know, I think I know where you are with the Lord, but I want you to know, I think there's something inside of you. If your life right now feels menial, and I know with college and all that kind of stuff, it can just feel like day in and day out, the Lord has put the fire of Stephen on you, I believe. I could be wrong, but I see that in you. And I just wanna just say thank you for your heart and whatever is in there, just live it out, man, live it out. So uh, with that said, Let's, uh, let's start this morning with a little gift for all the fathers here. I'm going to show you a video. And this video isn't so much thanking all you for being great fathers, but instead it's about empathizing with you and that sometimes fathers can be overlooked. Let's watch this. Let me say this. Let me say this. I've been thinking about this too. Father's Day is the worst holiday in the world. I've done the research. I already know. Let me tell you something. Mother's Day is the second most celebrated holiday in the world. Christmas is first, so it's, that means it's Jesus, then your mama. <laughs> you know what Father's Day fall at? Number 20. I can't think of 18 other holidays. <laughs> Do you realize Halloween is number six? Does that mean ghosts and goblins go before fathers? Arbor Day is number 13. I don't even know what that is. I just know it come before me, that's crazy. Columbus Day is number 16. Celebrating Columbus Day is like celebrating somebody finding money in your house. Where you get that $50 from? I discovered it in your kitchen. Ridiculous. Fathers, and, I, and it's mother's fault. It's mother's fault, because see, when Mother's Day come around, fathers go in their pocket deep. Go in their pocket deep. Hey, I want to get my mama something. You cash that money out. You know what mothers do? Hey, I want to get daddy something. Well, go in that car. It's some change in my little cup holder in there. <laughs> Don't nobody even have a sale for Father's Day. Who has a Father's Day sale? Mother's Day sale is like 30 of them. Everybody have Mother's Day sale. Don't nobody have no Father's Day sale. Who has Father's Day sale? The dollar store. <laughs> <laughs> So fathers, we see you, you're loved and appreciated. So, hey, let's have, let's have all the dads. Dads, stepdads, granddads, stand up. Let's pray for you guys real quick. Give you guys a round of applause. So we'll just, uh, why don't we just extend a hand if you're near them, put a hand on a shoulder. Father, we just love you. We thank you for these dads. And uh, we just pray blessing over them, not just this day, but Lord, the rest of their lives, walking with you, going deeper with you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. All right. Well, today we're going to start with one of the most depressing verses in the Bible. How about that for a U-turn? Prayer, funny video, but it really is. It's one of the most depressing verses that you could even talk about. And so our story starts right at the very beginning. The existence of earth has just come into formation. You have Adam and Eve living in a garden. Now this garden is called Eden and it is perfect. 
There's a river going down the middle of it and it's watering this beautiful, perfect place. But in order to keep the perfection intact, God says to Adam and Eve, I just need you to follow one rule. Some of you guys know what this rule is. Do not eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But unfortunately, this slippery serpent named Satan enters into the garden and begins tempting Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve buckle under the pressure and the temptation, and they eat the fruit. And at that moment, a large, I would call it spiritual dark cloud comes over the garden. Perfection leaves, shame enters, and all of a sudden, everything is corrupted. Have you ever guys been at one of those big, big public pools? I'm talking like where hundreds of people can swim at the same time. Have you ever been at the Blue Ash Rec Center? Picture that for a moment. And it's a beautiful 85 degree day. And just picture me, I'm in the deep end. I'm having a great time jumping off. There's not a high dive anymore, but there used to be. And all of a sudden I come out of the water and all the lifeguards are blowing their whistles. Everyone's jumping out of the pool and I'm looking up in the sky. There's no lightning, there's no clouds, there's no rain. Well, what's happened a hundred yards away over in the shallow end is some sweet two-year-olds had an accident, right? The loaded swimmy diaper has broken open and everybody is fleeing. Do you guys know it is a law that when that happens, no matter how big the body of water is in the pool, everyone has to get out because the entire pool has now been contaminated. I'm thinking, it doesn't matter, I'm over here, just scoop it out, let's keep going, right? <laughs> but legally, you have to get out. And that's exactly, in a serious sense, what happened in this garden, one mistake, one small little disobedience in the entire garden, and actually existence of humanity is now contaminated. And so God has to reel off these consequences, right? He's telling Adam, here's now what's going to happen. And as he's listing these consequences of their disobedience, we come to the verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, one of the most depressing verses in the Bible. God says, for dust you are, Adam, and dust you will return. Now, why is that so depressing? Well, the reason why is because what God is really saying, Adam, your days are now numbered. And this wasn't the original plan. But at some point, you're going to die. You're going to run out of breath. And see, God created Adam out of the dust with the breath of his life, with the intent, you're going to live forever. You're not going to age, no filler, no Botox. Like, you're good to go. You will never even get a wrinkle. But now all that has changed. And so as we you know, are looking at this last book of the Bible, what we see is God pointing back to the very beginning and he's saying to Adam in this moment, Adam, where you came from, you are going to eventually return. Adam, you were created out of dust and you're gonna become dust again as a decomposed body buried underground. In other words, what God is saying, Adam, from where your story started is where your story is going to end. And for Adam, that statement is like a death sentence. From where you started, Adam, that's where you're going to end. But for each and every one of us today, 2023, here we are, two weeks left in our Revelation series. We're coming to the very end of the Bible. This statement, though a death sentence for Adam, a statement like this is a declaration of life for you and I. It's the exact opposite. And the reason why is because from where the story of the Bible started is where the story will end. As we're talking about the scriptures, as we're looking at it today through its entire breadth, 
from where the story of the Bible started is where it will end. That is not a death sentence to us. That is a declaration of life. That is the greatest news that our ears can actually hear. And that's not only one of the greatest revelations of revelation, but again, it should be one of the greatest revelations for us that the bookends of the Bible have always been connected. And they've been connected and joined by a single mega narrative. And this mega narrative travels through 66 books of the Bible. You know, for about 10 years, everybody was fascinated with Marvel movies. Maybe they still are. I'm not sure how all that is going with Disney. But nonetheless, you had to watch every movie, every show, because they had a mega narrative traveling from the very first movie going all the way to movie 22 or 23 or whatever number they were at. And so as a consumer, you just, you couldn't miss because everything was connected. Everything was pointing to the very end and you didn't want to miss out. And so let me just say, North Star, that is my hope and my dream for us as a church, that when we hold the word of God in our hands, we have that same kind of urgency. I can't skip over any word, any chapter, any book, because it's all connected. It's all pointing toward the end. And so as we come to Revelation chapter 22 today, this mega narrative of the scriptures, the main point of it all comes full circle. And so what is the mega narrative? Why is it important? And how in the world is it even relevant on Father's Day? I'm gonna to try to answer all three of those questions. And here's how I want us to start. There's gonna be a picture on the screen behind me. And this is somebody's rendition of what it's gonna look like at the very end. Because at the very end, we're gonna find a garden that is described in the book of Revelation. This is the very last chapter of the Bible. Now, how do we get to this point? Again, some of you may disagree with the way that I see this. We'll all figure it out in heaven one day. No need to fight. But right now, I believe we're in the church age. At some point, we'll hit a great tribulation, maybe about seven years. Jesus will return. Some of you may think he returns before. Okay, again, don't fight. But he'll return at some point, and we will move into this 1,000-year reign where we get to reign on earth with Jesus, Satan locked underground in some sort of dungeon. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released. There'll be a final judgment. Satan will be defeated for good. And then we will move into what's known as the eternal state. Heaven and earth colliding, becoming one, new heaven, new earth, no pain, no hardship, nothing but perfection forever. This behind me is a picture of what maybe that will look like. That's what Revelation 22 is describing. We're finally stepping into this eternal state. Let me read the first two verses. The scripture won't be behind me. I want you just to keep looking at this picture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And so what we see here is we have another garden, much like the garden at the very beginning in Eden. And so the mega narrative of the Bible we find hangs on the tent pegs of two gardens, the garden of Genesis and the garden of Revelation. The gardens are the bookends of the exact same story. And these gardens have so much in common. And that's not an accident. 
what both of these gardens have in common. Three main pillars I want to point out. One number one is a river. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, we hear about this river going down the Garden of Eden, and eventually it splits into four different smaller channels. But the river that we've got here in Revelation, it stays as one river, and it's from God, and it's pure. I don't know if there's symbolism there, but it doesn't split. It stays on course. Then we find that there is gold in both of these gardens. We read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, that the river runs through land teeming with gold. And then we get to Revelation, this final garden. We see that the river runs down a street made of gold. We read that in chapter 21. And finally, the third pillar, the tree of life. In Genesis chapter 3, after sin enters our nature, our humanity, God prevents Adam and Eve from ever reaching the tree of life. And here's why. Because if there's sinful nature now in the world, can you imagine somebody like Hitler that uses that nature to its worst degree, ever making it to the tree of life, eating from it, and living forever? That means he'd still be around today. It'd be anarchy across the globe. And so God says to Adam and Eve, because of the sin nature that's now into the existence of humanity, nobody's getting to the tree of life. But in the final garden, we find the tree of life and everyone has access to it. Everyone can come eat its fruit and it's for the healing of the nations. Let's continue verse three. There will be, uh, no longer will there be any curse. The, uh, The curse of the first garden is broken. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Now, because of the fallout of the first garden, what that meant is that the people could only host the presence of God on earth. Like things like in the temple or the tabernacle. But now in the final garden, it's not just about the presence of God. The person of God is moving in, into the city where the people dwell. And the people will see his face and his name. His name, not Satan's name, will be on their foreheads. See, because of the first garden, our intimacy and our identity with God was marred. And as you move to the book of Exodus, you start seeing this thing over and over again. That because this intimacy has been marred, we can't actually look at God in the face and survive. But in the final garden, you can look at him right in the eyes and you will live forever. There'll be no more night. There'll be no need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. His glory will be so great. There'll be no need for a sun. And they will reign, the people, forever and ever. See, in the first garden, Adam and Eve lost the right to reign over all creation. That's what God said here. Here's what you're here to do. Reign over creation. They lost that right. But in the final garden, they will regain it. And so look behind me. There's going to be two sections here. The first section says fallout from the first garden. The second, redemption in the Revelation garden. This is the most important slide I believe you will see today, maybe in the next two weeks, because this right here points to us our mega narrative. And let's just let's go to this again one quick time. In the first garden, the curse came. In the final garden, the curse is broken. In the first garden, we found out that the presence of God can only visit But in the final garden, the person of God moves in for good. Not just 33 years of Jesus on earth, but forever. From the fallout of the first garden, we can no longer see God's face. But in the final garden, we'll be able to see his face and live. The fallout from the first garden means that our foreheads, some of us, not all of us, but those who don't follow Jesus will be marked by the beast. Now, is that figuratively, that symbolically? Again, we'll find that out in the future. Who knows? But in the final garden, 
our foreheads, our identity, our hearts will be marked by God. In the first garden, humanity lost their right to reign, and in the final garden, that reign will be restored. And so there it is, in the very last chapter of the Bible, the mega narrative of all scripture comes into view. It's right there. The main theme, the main thrust, the main point of the entire Bible right here. And here's what it is, is that all that was lost in the first garden is gonna be found in the final garden. That is it. Everything you read from the first page of the Bible to the last is summarized like that. It all points that to what was lost in that first garden, it is gonna be found again in the final garden. The regret of Eden for, is gonna be redeemed for all of eternity because that's the roadmap of the Bible. It's from one garden to the next. And each and every one of us right now, we are on this journey traveling down that line to the final garden. And if we look behind us, we'll see so many things that have already come, like the law of God, the tabernacle, the promised land, the temple, all these things. And did you notice that none of these over the course of history ever restored what was lost in that first garden. But then we come to Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for and so many missed. And we come to Jesus and he dies on the cross for our sins and then returns from the grave three days later to offer us eternal life. If you're struggling with this whole thing about Jesus, let me just say this, go study the resurrection. Has it ever been disproven? What are the facts? What are the myths? Weigh that out. And so Jesus comes to us and says, those who believe in me, who put their faith in me as Lord and Savior will have eternal life. And so when I say yes, and I receive that gift of eternal salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and fills us on the inside. And so the very power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives inside of you. That's why every single Sunday we say, hey, if you have not said yes to Jesus, we'll have prayer teams up here. They can talk to you. They can pray with you. You can pray that prayer on your own, but we love doing it in community, understanding what we're stepping into. But with all of that said, that's not the end of the story. Whether you've given your heart to Jesus or you're gonna do that today, that's not the end of the story. And we get a clue in John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus says, even though I've overcome the world, even though I've defeated death in this world right now, still have deception, still have pain, still have heartache, we still have betrayal. And so when we think about salvation through Jesus, what it does is it secures for us perfection in heaven, but it does not grant us perfection on earth. It just doesn't, because only when Jesus returns, bringing heaven with him, will the curse finally and fully be reversed. Understand, your salvation in Jesus is complete but global redemption is not. There is still brokenness, there is still pain. In your heart, that salvation that you have received from Jesus, yes, 100% complete, but global redemption is not. And so what do we do in that tension? That's been the point of this whole series, that we take heart, we fix our focus on the finish line, 
and we wait with hopeful expectation. And we can do that because what we learn is that everything that was lost in that first garden, it is gonna be found again in the final garden. And I get it, for some of us, that may be good news, right? You're ready to applaud and you're excited, great. And for some of you, you're thinking, I like the sound of that, but I can't wait that long because you've already lost so much. I can't wait one more day. I can't wait one more week. I can't wait for this final garden. Because for some of us, we have lost so much. We're just ready for relief. We're ready for redemption. And I would imagine there's some fathers in here today who have probably felt like they've lost a lot. And that's what Father's Day can do sometimes. It can churn up some of those wounds and those pains of what we've already lost. You know, when you first step into fatherhood, you lose a lot. You lose freedom. That's one of the things you start losing. You can also lose your patience, your joy. You may lose your job, your reputation. You may start losing relationships. We can lose so much in such a beautiful space. But you know who else lost a lot? Adam lost a lot. In that first garden, he lost freedom with his wife. He lost intimacy with God. He was banished from the garden and he was burdened with toil. And even after he got out of the garden, then he loses his first two sons. Adam lost so much. And in fact, when you start hearing that, it can actually make us frustrated with God. To think, God, why did this man, this person lose so much, Adam and Eve, because they ate the fruit? One little mistake. Like, is that really the kind of God that we're serving, we're loving? One disobedience, one mistake, one slip up, and they lose all of that. But here's what I would say. I don't think Adam's main mistake was eating the fruit. I think there was something before that. There was something else he did wrong before he ever grabbed at that tree. And for me, I think there's a nice hint of this. I hope this doesn't feel like a stretch, but for me, this stood out. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38, here's where we read. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, who is the son of God which does not mean the son of God like Jesus, fully God, humanity, divinity. But what it means is let's just remind ourselves, Adam was a creation of the eternal father. He is a son to God because God created him. God's the boss. God's the one in command. God's the father. Adam is a son. And so fathers, here's what I want us to hear more than anything, is that Adam's main mistake wasn't eating the fruit. I believe Adam's main mistake is that he stepped out of sonship. Right before he ate that fruit, he stepped out of his sonship. And what he did is he traded submissive sonship for false fatherhood. Because what he must have been thinking to himself is, all right, let's reverse roles. I'm going to take the lead. God, you're the son. I'm the father, I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. I've heard your commands, I've heard your directive, but I'm the father, you're the son, and Adam reversed roles. He stepped out of his sonship. That's why he ate the fruit. That, in my opinion, is what settles in my heart, seems like the major mistake that he made. And so for all the dads here, I understand this idea of reclaiming what's been lost can feel so overwhelming. Like the first thing I start thinking is, okay, if I'm gonna reclaim the things that have been lost in my life, it's gonna take a lot of work. But I wanna say today, it doesn't have to. Here's all I want us to do today, fathers, 
is I want us to learn from Adam's mistake and just take one step today. And that one step I'm asking us to take is back into sonship, back into the, into the, and the identity and the place that God has called us to. That step into sonship, that step into the role of a son who utterly and completely depends and surrenders his life to the eternal father. That's what it means to step into our sonship. Like father is a role, but son is an identity. That's the identity God's given us. And I understand there are so many different things that you know, God wants us and we need to do if we're gonna reclaim what has been lost in our life. Accountability, counseling, all those different things. But dads, all I'm asking today is just one step. I know it takes so much more to reclaim what's been lost, but just one step. Let's step back into that sonship. Because I believe we're all working hard to be good fathers. And I believe God is applauding your effort. I mean, just the fact that you're here today at a church on Father's Day. He's applauding you. He's grateful for you. But so often we can feel like we're failing. Can't we dads? Missed opportunities, we're tired, running out of energy, keep making mistakes. Maybe some of us even have kids that said in the last couple weeks, I hate you, dad. That may be your reality. And when those things happen, and personally, I, I miss an opportunity or I make a mistake as a father, what starts rushing into my own mind is this guilt and this shame and condemnation. And fathers, if you're wrestling with that at all, what I wanna make sure you hear is that any shame and guilt and condemnation that you begin to believe and feel about your role as a father, I wanna make sure you hear that is not from God. And here's why I feel like I can say that with all confidence. Because what truly pleases our father is not you and I being a perfect dad, but being his beloved son. That's what pleases him. Not being a perfect dad, but being his beloved son. Fathers, that's the biggest storyline we can be living. And so let's step back into sonship. Again, you have the role of father, but your identity is that of a son. We are all living between the gardens. And that's good news. Because we're between the gardens, we don't have to settle for a smaller story. Not for a second. All that was lost in that first garden is gonna be found in the final garden. That's the mega narrative of the Bible. The question is, is that gonna be the mega narrative of our lives? And so I'm gonna invite the band up and uh, we're gonna take, uh, step into a time of communion and prayer. I want you guys stand as well. And as we do this, like we do every week, we're gonna have an opportunity to take communion. And as we take communion today, I want us to think about stepping back into our sonship, into our daughtership, into our role of declaring, Jesus, you are a better leader than I am. And so our first step is, okay, how can I follow you? When we take communion, we're following Jesus. The crackers representing the body that was broken, the juice representing the blood that was poured out. When we take communion, what we're saying is thank you. Jesus, I'm remembering what you did for me on the cross. You're the father. I'm the child, and I'm coming to say thank you. And then with our prayer teams up here today, I, I don't know about you, but if you have never experienced the love of God in a profound and powerful way, 
I think it will be impossible for you to believe that what is lost can actually be found again. I think it's almost impossible to truly believe that. And so I believe there's some of us here today that when we come down for prayer, the prayer's gonna be, Father, I just wanna experience you in a powerful and a profound way. Change my life, encounter me in a new and a fresh way. And there's some of us who may be like, okay, I, I've encountered him that way, but there's still some things in my life I want restored, I want healed, I want delivered. And so that's what these teams are gonna be up here for. And in a couple minutes after that, I'll probably bounce back up and say, hey, thanks for coming out, have a great week. You don't have to leave. We can stay here all day, praying and worshiping. If you've never experienced God in a powerful and profound way, let's let today be that day. Let's pray. So Lord, we love you. We step into this time into this main course. Father, we acknowledge that everything up to right now is just really the appetizer. Responding to you. Responding to your love, your grace, your faithfulness. Even responding out of curiosity, Lord. You say, just come. Just come wherever you're at. And so, Lord, I pray that during this prayer that we would encounter you in such a powerful and profound way that the hunger and the faith would rise in this room that chains would be broken and all that was lost will be found. That yeah, maybe we don't have to wait until the final guard, Lord, maybe you do it today. You can and you want to, and we declare you will. And so we love you, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. As you feel ready, as you feel led, come up, take communion, receive prayer, let's worship.
acknowledge and honor you as the King, as the Savior, the Messiah. And so we love you. We thank you. On this Father's Day, God, let us never, ever forget that you are the perfect and the eternal Father. And so I pray for freedom in that truth, that all of us would walk out of here in greater freedom, greater power, because of what you have done, what you have given, and what you are yet to do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you guys would like prayer, come on down. If not, uh, we'll see you next week.